Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another Limited Upside podcast. This is a playoff edition. It is the Thursday, 421. Uh, Mike, it's good to be here talking about playoffs, even though the playoffs themselves haven't really been that great so far. Underwhelming, to say the least. Yeah. No shortage of like little things to pick apart that could maybe translate down to the rest of the playoffs when things will hopefully get better. Is that a fair way to kind of state us into this playoff talk? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I, I'm just disappointed, like you said, these uh, series. We can talk about this later, but especially the three six and the four five series in the East, they're just right. they were supposed to be the competitive ones, and that has not been the case for various reasons. And in the West, it's not surprising that it's not competitive. So I'm hoping it gets a little more competitive. Maybe it's like a come down from the great regular season we had, and maybe it'll get better going forward. But as these series change to the other venues, I'd like to see a couple go the distance. A couple of these teams down 2-0 really kind of find themselves. That would make it a lot more interesting than yeah. it is right now. Just to, yeah, just to build into a series. Like these series don't start as you you know the cliche goes until a road team wins, but like. Aside from what one series with two series where a road team has won, the Mavs have won and the Pacers have won. Is that correct? Just those yeah, two series. Yeah, just those two. And that's that's that just kind of speaks to the the hierarchy versus kind of the bottom feeding of uh, you know of the playoff meet this year. It's interesting because one particular series that I think we'll start in the West. We'll start with Clippers Portland. We had speculated that maybe if things shook out, Portland could kind of hang with them, steal some games, maybe steal a game in 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 Los Angeles. But that hasn't played out that way. And in fact, the Clippers look really, really good. And it looks more and more like they're sitting pretty. Uh, and and what, what exactly have they been doing? And it makes them look like maybe this could translate well against Golden State on the defensive end. I know DeAndre Jordan has looked great. What in your mind, Mike, has kind of makes them look like the heavyweight that they should be? Uh, and what have they done to really stifle Portland and make this series the easy 2-0 series that it is with a couple of blowouts? Yeah, I, I'm surprised too. Not that the Clippers are winning, but I I thought Portland would steal that game last night before it happened. I thought they would make the right adjustments, and instead, what happened was the Clippers adjusted to what they did in Game One a little bit. And you mentioned big picture how important this is. The way they're winning, Portland. I kind of wrote this in January, and I think it's still true. They're almost like a Diet Warriors in style, if you think <laughs> about it, right? So they have these. These great guards that can pull up off the dribble, and so you have to honor them from really far away. And when you trap them during the regular season, they were so good at moving the ball and finding the right guy. I mean, that sounds a lot like what the Warriors do so well. And it does. Yeah, you know, a good point. Portland is not the Warriors, they, but they're kind of like a Warriors light. And so the fact that the Clippers have held them down, I think they scored, what, 81 last night? And how many did they score in game one? 95. 115-95 first game. I mean, these are two tremendous defensive performances, and the way they're doing it is with these traps and recoveries and kind of half traps and pushing them off balance and then protecting the basket. I think it's been incredibly impressive to watch, and the linchpin of this and what gives, I think should give the Clippers a lot of optimism going forward is the way DeAndre Jordan is playing. Yep. Yep, no, he's been great, and the irony of him being kind of the standout right now in the first couple games of the playoffs this year, whereas last year with all the contract negotiations looming over his entire, every, every move he made in the playoffs, oh, scrutinizing his free throw shooting, scrutinizing his offensive ability, when, when the essence of his game, what makes him so important, like you just said, is that he is one of the best defensive disruptors in the NBA, if not the best, and he's putting it on full display right now. His footwork's been great. You're right, every time he comes out and challenges on the perimeter, he looks comfortable. And then he gets back and defends the rim. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. In the regular season, I thought it was interesting how the Clippers, in the past, they had a very helter-skelter defense. But during this regular season, they toned it down a little bit. They played a little more traditional, kind of keeping DeAndre at the rim. And then in these two games, they've sort of reverted back to springing what they used to do with the trapping. Mm -hmm. And it's been really brilliant. I mean, Lillard is lost in this series. and. Whenever Portland gets towards the basket, DeAndre is just there to snuff it out. And at the same time, he is also jumping out. And it's not just him. Some of the other guys, Cole Aldrich has been this way as well off the bench. 
Portland was so good at moving the ball when you kind of blitz them. And what the Clippers are doing is they're sort of, sometimes they're coming all the way out. Sometimes they're just sliding a guy like kind of to the level of the ball, not mm-hmm. like all the way trapping. And it, and then they're recovering when they're, they're, the guard gets through the screen. And they're leaving the right guys open. And, you know, Portland has more self-checks, I think, than Golden State will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. That This could change <laughs> a lot. I mean, shooting – the Blazers are missing shots they made in the regular season. But Golden State doesn't have these self-checks. But you look at the way they're on a string and yet still have that protection at the basket – it's exactly how you're supposed to beat Golden State if you yeah. can do it right. It's obviously much harder, but sure. if you do it right, you know, and that's why maybe this matchup is just kind of a blessing for the Clippers and that they sort of get to warm up with a stylistically sort of similar team. Sure. Yeah, I'll say this, man. It, it, that's true, but one of the big advantages I think Portland had coming into the series that they haven't exploited at all would be, be those wing players like Aminu and Harkless who should have the ability to get past uh, kind of more susceptible wings like a Jeff Green or a Mamu Mute. Who is locking up CJ yeah, McCollum right exactly, now. Exactly, which is which is crazy to me when you put this on paper but i do think that there's a difference between you mentioned like kind of the light version and i don't disagree but it's like it's almost like drinking like seltzer water and a beer in terms of like the difference <laughs> between the calories even though one might be like a light thing one is just water like there's a huge difference here right. uh, between you know what a what a clay thompson wing matchup or harrison barnes when livingston comes into the game um it's it's different, you know. Oh, that's yeah. not Moharkless, but no, I totally agree. I mean, you, you wouldn't I at least you're saying, you wouldn't at least at least call uh, the Blazers Rolling Rock. Yeah, sure. They're just that's, seltzer. That's that's <laughs> another great PA uh, PA brewery right there. Uh, okay. Let's see, real, real quick though. Uh, last thing I want to say though is I do think uh, that a healthy CP3, no leg things going on right now, hamstrings, quads, all those things that he always has going on around playoff time, ankle, you name it. Healthy CP3 is still an observation to make a lot better than Damian Lillard. All things considered, oh, yeah. he's still a great, great player, capable of winning a series by himself, putting everybody in the right place. He looks like he's in full, uh, utter CP3 dominance mode right now. Have you noticed the same thing? Yeah, I, I, he has historically been really good against Lillard, even during the regular season, okay. which is why I was not particularly optimistic that the Blazers would make this that tight a series. I thought really defense would be their bigger problem. They don't have a CP3 matchup. They tried to jumble some of their mm-hmm. matchups and put Harkless on CP3 and hide Lillard and all that. But then they also don't have anyone to guard uh, Redick. McCollum struggled a little bit. He fought hard and did as well as you could have expect, I guess, but he's not a good matchup. And then, of course, they've got no answer for DeAndre uh, on that yeah. end as well. But I am still surprised by how they've defended Portland, and I expected Portland to score a lot better than they have. And yep. That can re- change when they go back home. That could I, change. I think that probably will. I think missing shots is a problem. I mean, you talked about Aminu and Harkless. I mean, the biggest reason those guys haven't been effective is that the Clippers are just leaving them wide open, and mm-hmm. they can't make them pay consistently enough and that's sort of the genius of this trapping for them and that's something that you know we can talk about this a little later but it almost feels like when you are only an average shooter you can get away with that in the regular season but then that yeah. scab kind of opens up more in the playoffs but that's yeah we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about that more later because it also ties into uh, you know my percent theory of playoff basketball to regular player it's usually the Serge Ibaka theory but we'll talk way more about this yeah later on in, in the yeah in the it, back to CP3 I think one <laughs> thing he's doing well and one thing that's underrated when we talk about these stylistic defenses and the traps is that his ball pressure is really good I mean he's sure. right in it's not enough for the big guy to come up and guard and trap. You have to have also dealing with pressure on the on the backside. The guard has to feel like he's in a crunch. He's kind of being sure. crushed on the screen. That's where it's really effective. And I think in general that that is undervalued by analysts. The ability of guards to just clamp oh, in yeah. these situations. I mean, he's that, a baby bull, man. He is a pit bull of a player. Just his build. I mean, he yeah. walks around like a little Napoleon on the court. He wants to be in the mug of every player he guards. That's yeah. how Chris Paul is. Yeah, I think this also, you saw this in the Charlotte series with Josh Richardson. Mm. It's just these guards that can just kind of be in your grill, and you're not stopping them, but you're kind of just that little pest from behind, just kind of 
jumping up into that your hip. I mean, that yep. makes a huge difference. And when you trap, timing is everything, right? So if, if the guard feels a little bit extra bit of pressure, the pass that they delivers to the next guy is going to be a little bit late. And then the next pass is a little late, and it's all sort of sped up. And that's especially pronounced when you can help off guys like Harkless and Aminu. So yep. it's scary, I think, that the Clippers think they could play better defense than they have been, which is what they said after Game 2. I, well, you can't say in Game 2 of – the first round like oh, all right guys well we've hit our max we're about what we want to be let's just put it on cruise control and we'll just settle on into the nba finals you know like obviously that that's part of doc you know talking to the media to really talk to his team don't settle you know we that's one thing doc is good at sort of the psychology of the player he knows that part of the game uh, that that i'll say uh is definitely one thing the other thing is adding i'm lucky we haven't even brought his name up. I just lost a bet to myself on this. We haven't even mentioned uh, Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. Not a single time in this series. Uh, to end, put to put a bow on this Clippers series so far, do you like what you see from Griffin so far? Kind of one good game, one kind of not so good game, but all the while just adding minutes and, and getting his legs under him? Yeah, I, I think he's looked better than I expected. I, I mm-hmm. thought he looked a little rusty at the end of the regular season, but you talked about game one. He had a big game one. Uh, wasn't quite as good last night, but they didn't need him because yep. they had other guys who were doing the job. And, you know, their bench was really good last night. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, Agreed. So I, I think that's a really good sign, especially, again, looking ahead. You know, Griffin has struggled with Draymond Green, but if you can get something out of that matchup, it gives the Warriors one more thing to think about. Uh, oh, absolutely. And I think absolutely. that's it. What um, If you're Portland, what do you do now? I mean, you're coming back home. Do you just kind of hope – that the shots go down more? Is there something you can do? I have something they should try, but I'm kind of curious what you think. Yeah, no, so I definitely think that the shots go down theory is is big play here. They they go back home into Portland. It's one of those places that they always just look like a different team. They're kind of a younger, call it more confident, uh, more themselves team when they're at home. And that happens in basketball. We know that. But I I think one of the big adjustments still – uh, likely make will be that Amino will probably come closer to the basket. I think that they can use his size in this situation, kind of bring DeAndre Jordan back underneath, create a little more space around the wing too. If you can get Amino on the block, I think that's more efficient than having him kind of where he hasn't been as good, which is on the perimeter in this series. Now, I don't know what you think about using Aminu as a slightly different piece, but that's just, otherwise, you just got to hit your threes. Yeah. You know, they're going to take just as many threes, if not more, next game, and you got to hit them. Right. I I think that's the biggest adjustment. I would go the other way, though. I would downsize even more. I mean, right now, when the Blazers are playing Plumlee, and they experimented with, like, these Cayman-Ed Davis lineups last night in order to defend, but they also put those on the floor with the Clippers bench unit, which I didn't quite understand. You know, you need size to guard Griffin, I understand, but right now Jordan is basically being allowed to roam when he doesn't is not directly involved in the play, and he doesn't have to worry about Mason Plumlee. He doesn't have to worry about Ed Davis, and, you know, Portland used Plumlee in the high post and delivered a couple nice back doors, but I, I just think they need to find some way to draw DeAndre out from the basket, and mm. one way to do that is to put Aminu as a center and kind of do what the Warriors did yeah. in the finals and try Again, they don't have the Warriors personnel. Like the Clippers may react to that and say, "Okay, if Aminu and Harkless want to shoot threes, we'll let him do it." Even if you know DeAndre is the man that Hark that right. that Aminu is guarding Aminu, but I think that's something that they need to look at. They need to try to spread it out even more because Portland op- once operated with space so well during the regular season, and because the Clippers are sort of exposing the scab that some of these other guys are not great shooters after all they have less space and so anything they can do to get more space i mean they're going to suffer defensively though so it's not an easy answer but that's what i would try i would go smaller if i'm predicting anything it's going to be that they're going to score like 112 points next game and they might lose it but they're going to score plenty of points i don't think i think it's one of those things that coming home to the energy of the crowd will be an overwhelming factor for them to play better gentlemen just one of those sports 101 brain things not even between the x's and o's they might very well change what you're saying and go smaller, but they'll hit their shots and they'll feel good playing at home. That's yeah. kind of that's how I just see that series going. Then it's 2-1. 
then the Clippers go win the, the uh, you know game four three one and that's that's the series. Yeah, they, I, they win in five. That's foreshadowing a little bit to something we'll talk about a little later. <laughs> this idea of there, there's no real adjustment that they yep. need to make. We'll talk yeah. about that a little later. It's going around these days, but yeah. before we do that, as the Clips are on the up and up, you might say. I think there's one team in particular in the West in Oklahoma City. I'll just cut to the chase. <laughs> that I'm that you're not you're a little more skeptical on. I am still for the same reasons I'm high on them or the same reasons that I can't trust them. But can you trust them, Mike? Or is this just the same old Oklahoma City and it doesn't matter who's coaching if it's Scotty Brooks, if it's me, if it's you, Billy Donovan, maybe, I don't know. But they just kind of are what they are right now. And why are we trying to rewrite who Oklahoma City is every single game in every single series? But what do we think about Oklahoma City? Well, I mean, this is the thing. It's They are who they are. And who yeah. they are is in game one when – their talent can be physically overwhelming. They win by what, thirty-eight points? But then in yeah, game, thirty-eight, one hundred eight, seventy. But then in game two, I mean, that was a just a travesty in a lot of ways. I thought just the way they played down the stretch, the way that they have no crunch time offense, the way Russell Westbrook defended Raymond Felton and let oh him get God. off. Like you cannot win against good teams, and you know I'm I the Mavericks are a Fine. team that has played very hard but this should yeah. this should be a sweep it's just that they they maximize they're well coached they maximize what they're doing rick carlisle is great yep. and they they find ways i was really impressed with how their tempo control it felt like they really slowed the game down they had a great game plan in game two but this is a team you should crush and you can't beat the spurs and the warriors with that crunch time offense and it's i would say it's more pronounced now than ever before i think this has always kind of been the Thunder's bugaboo. It's just they don't execute down the stretch on either end, and they don't have supplementary scoring options. I mean, we can go, we can spend an hour talking. We've about done why. this before, though. You know, we we've gone down this path last year. I mean, it's the you're same exactly thing. Right? It's the same thing. Scotty Brooks was their coach last year. Now it's Billy Donovan. It's the same thing. The compensatory guys. The 18 and 10 you get from Ibaka in the regular season evaporates into a... a That's very kind for Serge Ibaka. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm just giving him, I'm giving him a good game where he's a good third piece. And instead, come playoff time, it's a, it's a two-man show. It always is. Ibaka gets minimized. Steven Adams gets minimized. All the little things that make them score like an easy 115 and cruise through the regular season... They get thrown into the on the back burner, and their games become these truncated messes of the first two and a half quarters, three quarters are this blitzkrieg, and then it turns into this slog, this slog, you know, where it turns into these 84, 85 losses the game after they win by 38, like you said. And that type of not being able to repeat consistency, it doesn't matter if you have a 98 mile per hour fastball. If you can't repeat the delivery, you end up becoming Rick Ankeel and throwing it 15 feet above the catcher's head in the playoffs. The idea is that you can do the same thing over and over and think you're doing it right, but if it's not actually right, you're repeating the same wrong thing. Right. I, I compare more to someone like a, a Mar- Armando Benitez, where everybody kind of knows the fastball is coming, and all you can do is just throw it by them. But eventually, if you don't keep the hitter off balance, you have no way of the hitter sure. is just going to hit it out of the park. That's. I think they're both good analogies. Yeah, uh, they both work here. They yeah. fit into every one of these analogies of like <laughs> not really being able to uh, establish anything but the exact identity you have at that moment. I mean, they really yeah. are just this one trick pony. What what kills me is that the we know okay, they have two guys that you have to worry about. Like let's say we know this and we know that there's a big drop for the rest of the team. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Why is it then that Two things kill me. Why don't they push the ball in crunch time? Why don't they run no, up the floor? Like, why is it that when when they get a rebound, this was was killing me. They just kind of hold it and walk it up. Dude, it's the prevent defense of basketball. They are what? literally prevent defensing themselves. Right. Why do they do that? Why don't they try to get something out? They have two of the most athletic players in the league. Like, why aren't they pushing in the open floor? Are they tired? Like it's the mad- other players aren't doing anything much all game. What are they doing? Why can't they run? Like, uh, dude, I dude, I have good friends who are Oklahoma City fans, and I'll tell you, man, the, the Jekyll and Hyde nature, the ability to be a fan and have, just like we are right here, a pretty easy assessment of what they're doing wrong, and then have it repeat out in front of you like Game 2 did, I'm, I'm sure drives them insane. It would drive I, me insane. Yeah, why don't they run, and then 
when they have their half court offense, why isn't there off ball movement and cutting? Like why why is it that when they run a pin down for Kevin Durant, there's I mean I I watched the uh, Toronto. We're going to briefly talk about Toronto, Indiana, and one of the things I thought Toronto did really well is that when they overloaded to their stars, Indiana, there was guys cutting off the ball and there was mm-hmm. a lot of motion. There were a lot of these C cuts into the lane. And why is it that Oklahoma City can't do that? Why is it that that Deion Waiters just stands in the corner? Why can't he cut to the basket? Why is it that yeah. you know Serge Ibaka is not kind of cutting in some fashion? Why is uh, it, it's it's insane? Ibaka doesn't understand. do anything to get himself into the game. But part of that I gotta believe is because these games get established when they're looking great. The games get established by the very opposite of what we're talking about. It's it's Durant and Westbrook. It's it's the other side of this, which is. When it's going well, they look incredible. I mean, they, they look like something yeah. shot out of a cannon, like superheroes playing basketball. But then when it, when it hits that wall, it turns into, oh my God, you realize this is two-on-five basketball and there are three other very capable players on the court. I mean, uh, Cantor has been... Is he playing in this series, Mike? No, he's playing. I mean, he okay. didn't play in crunch time. They, <laughs> they went with Adams because right. of defense. But Exactly. but that, And even then, if Adams is in the game... During the regular season, they run some plays. They get him into the screening game in a much bigger way. It just becomes isolation one-on-one basketball. And that, like like you said, might be even worse than what Scotty Brooks was throwing out there last year in Christ. I think it is worse. I think yeah. I think you look at they've, what, blown 15 leads in the fourth quarter this year? Yep. The Spurs have lost 15 games all season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. just consider that for a second. <laughs> and it, it, was, it struck me that they – it felt like every play they ran in game two was for Durant or Westbrook. And, and Durant missed all of them too. So Yeah, well, he did, but I, he got some good looks. But Wes Matthews played very good defense. And he I did. thought, again, they kind of knew what was coming. So it was just a matter. He's not going to shoot 7 of 33. Like, I, let's be clear. I think the Thunder are going to win this series. Yeah, yeah. we're not even going to mention. This is not an upset in my head yet. Right. No. I mean, this isn't about this series. It's about when they play better teams than Dallas. And of course. Again, credit to Dallas. But This whole podcast is more about projecting than what we actually have going on. Right. <laughs> so, to your point, when they don't involve other players earlier in the game, uh, they probably feel a lot less active and less willing to cut later in the game yep. or yep. run. But the problem is, is that those guys also aren't really capable of having plays run for them. That's true. Also. You know what I mean? So it's a catch 22. Mm-hmm. What what frustrates me even more, though, than the offense, just because we kind of know that it is, it is what it is, is that, you know, Dallas only scored 85 points, but it was a really slow paced game and they missed some open shots. The defense has been taking a step back. This, to me, is the biggest difference between Brooks and Donovan, is that at least they play defense yeah. very well under Scott Brooks. They do not defend consistently under Donovan. And Russell Westbrook was just an abomination at the end of that game. I, I Defending Felton, he just didn't oh, yeah. give proper effort. There's miscommunication on screens. He gives up, what, the straight line drive for the go-ahead bucket at the end of that game? Oh, yeah. That was yeah. easy. It was easy. It was. It did not look like playoff basketball intensity defense. It looked yeah. like something James Harden might do, but that that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of Harden, Durant got back cut like two or three times in very <laughs> yep. Harden-esque fashion. I, I just, <laughs> I don't understand. Those guys should be much better defensively. It, it, almost turns, it turns into sort of like, uh, you ever see Kingpin, Mike? No. You know, oh, there's, they use, uh, the guy's name's Munson, and they turn it into, to like, you don't want to get Munsoned out in the middle of nowhere. It turns <laughs> into like an actual thing, and uh, that almost feels like that's what the NBA equivalent of getting like backdoored now. It's like, ah, he got hardened. You don't want yeah. to get hardened. You know? I mean, I even described them as Harden esque. Harden esque, so. exactly. So, I think yes. it, yeah. someone someone made laughed at me for that, and it's it's kind of funny. Uh, but I mean, why don't they defend better? Are they carrying too much of an offensive load? Like, is Westbrook tired at the end of these games? That's what I wonder about. I would say no. They had more or less the last week of the season off. Even the games he was still playing and getting triple doubles were in like twenty two minutes or whatever. So you know. There might be some cumulative wear and tear, but no, I think I think it's one of those series where one team has one way they can win. The Mavericks need to win these games in the low 80s. <laughs> if we're mm-hmm. going to be totally honest. Yeah. They got to fight their fight. They got to do what you know. Bernard Hopkins. This is a great podcast of just other sports analogies. We got going <laughs> on, but this is what this is what let Bernard Hopkins fight into his late 40s was he would get in the ring with someone like significantly younger and more athletic and skilled at that point or talented at that point in their life, but not as smart and you know 
savvy and he'd get him to like fight his fights and that's all dallas did for one game and it when it happened it made it at least to me and to you and i'm sure the rest of the nba public it just looks so glaring because it's such a in-the-face difference between the way that oklahoma city wins games uh so when you lose a game in the low 80s and everything hits that wall and goes so slowly in the fourth quarter like we just mentioned it just looks worse it exacerbates the bad um and i think that's kind of what what makes if we're going to project it makes it a little bit some ominous forecasting. It's like, well, you can't do that against the Spurs. You, you'll just be right. in four or five games. Like you, right. You, you don't get those opportunities to have a mulligan and say, all right, well, game two, we can get over that. We'll win on the road in game three, nice and easy. There's no such thing. It is monumental to win on the road uh, in San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, only one team has done it, and that's the Warriors. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that's, you're right. Real quick, I do want to give credit to Dallas. I thought sure. it was a great game plan. What I loved Agreed. about it was – Something that I don't think we see enough in the league these days is uh, tempo control. And that's not just playing slow. It goes all the way to how many people do you send to the go- the glass. You know, how, how when you get a rebound, you don't have that instinct of really shoving it ahead. How is your decision-making in the secondary break? Mm-hmm. And just kind of having organization so that you can you – because know, a lot of these teams, they don't have – the intricate half-court offenses with multiple options and multiple looks in order to do stuff. I mean, Dallas was a master class in that the other night. It's the only way they can win, you know, and that's why I, I think it's hard for me to see how they can repeat that just because as bad as Oklahoma City played, I mean, they if Durant shoots, what, 9-33, to they probably win the game? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so that's something to, to consider, but I just – Credit to Rick Carlisle and credit as hell to Wes Matthews, who mm-hmm. played an amazing game that without scoring a lot of points. Yeah, and I can I'll speak right to uh, Wes Matthews uh, as a one Achilles survivor to another. Um, I'm I'm very proud uh, of you, Wes, and um, you're an inspiration to uh, me hobbling around off my crutches now. So I you know I'm being partially ironic, Mike, but also I know that it takes so long years after your your surgery to you really are 100. percent So he's finally getting in that window now of being past that year mark and you can see he, he looks more athletic again yeah than was earlier in the year and Wes is a really he was a really really good player last year earlier in the year mm-hmm. yeah so. I mean it, I, he should be inspiration to you to get back to playing <laughs> pickup ball uh, if, he can, <laughs> if he can guard Kevin Durant uh what 13 months after his surgery you yeah, can I can, you can play pickup ball again right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right um well yeah exactly and it's still the race is on with Chalmers to see who gets back on the court first <laughs> um, but okay so that out I mean, so Oklahoma City is uh a topic we've discussed now, probably they come up more than any other team, probably rightfully so also due to the Jekyll and Hyde nature of them. But one of the teams who we've talked more about this year than I think probably any any other NBA podcast has been Mike's, uh, call it mistress, the, the side piece, if you will, um, the, the Charlotte Hornets, his other little love affair. They're uh, fighting with Portland. They're fighting with Portland, right. The Wizards don't know about this, guys. Um, but I'll say this, Mike. Coaching looks complicated to me, so I'll never take it for granted. I coached 13-year-old AU basketball. It was complicated for me then. Steve Clifford thinks it's complicated, and we don't know it. Can you tell me, Mike, why a 12-year assistant and guy who's been a lifelong coach at many, many levels, even a scout, I believe he was a scout for the Knicks at one point, is he right to say that until he sees the film, the adjustments just can't be made and that there are adjustments to be made? Or is this the type of thing where... I don't know, man. The nature of the regular season and playoff basketball are just different. Tell me what your assessment of your Hornets is, Mike. Yeah, so what he said, in case you guys didn't see, he was asked. He was talking about how the Heat kind of just shot the lights out in, in an out-of-character way, and he was talking basically about how there's always this need to change things, and sometimes the best change is no change, and he was saying, you guys all throw out things to change. I think um, he was talking like kind of just the way they were scoring. And then he said, not to be disrespectful, but you guys, mm-hmm. you watch these games, you just come up like something's got to change. Or sometimes you just have to do the basic things better, which is what basketball, you know, Jeff Van Gundy likes to say, writers like to say they made an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Usually the adjustment is some guy that went one for eight, went six for eight. If you're not watching the film, no disrespect, you have no idea what should happen. That's an end quote. That's Clifford's exact. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then he kind of kept going on and on. And, um, you know, he was saying, I, I know he my team. Pat I, I, too, right? Yeah. He quoted Pat Riley. He said, until I watched the film, I really don't know. 
I know my team. I watch my team closer than anybody. I'm going to look and figure out what the problems are. If we need to make an adjustment, we'll make it. But these aren't – they're running the stuff – it's not like they're running stuff that we're have trouble guarding. We're keeping the ball out of the middle. Uh, sometimes the other teams just make shots. That's really what's going on. It was a very long, elaborate, and frankly nice way of saying that, you know, it's easy to suggest this, uh, an adjustment and much harder to implement it. And, you know, people who are suggesting adjustment don't know he was as much as he does, which mm-hmm. I think there, let's start with this. I think with respect to this specific series, I think he's right in that, in this sense that, Miami is a poor shooting team. He also one other thing that Clifford said was that uh, he was talking about people say, "What about starting Al Jefferson so your offense is better?" Our offense was one point oh seven points per possession. <laughs> you guys are looking at tempo stats. You're wrong. Sorry. And yeah. you know he's right. The offense is not the problem. And I think- sure, but but real quick, just so we can set an even more firm picture, they lost one twenty three to ninety one and one fifteen to one oh three, and they've spent like minutes of these games within single digits. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, so his point is that defensively they're kind of doing what they're supposed to be doing scheme-wise. They just have to do it better. And, so you know, part of their scheme is just kind of giving up shots to Miami to from the perimeter and the Heat are making them. And that is true. Mm-hmm. The Heat had this stretch where they just made everything. And this is not a great three-point shooting team. But, you know, when White – we talked about this on the site today. When Whiteside is rolling down the rim – they're pinching everybody down into the paint and gambling that the Heat shooters can't make them pay, and so far they've made them pay. Yep. So with respect to his point in this specific example, I think he's right. They're doing what they should be doing. They're just getting beat by uh, hot shooting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what can you really do about that in some level? I mean, it's sometimes guys just hit shots. And you talked about this with Portland. You know, the home road thing is a big deal as well. I mean, Miami – is at home. Some of these guys that are making shots, like Josh Richardson, uh, even Justice Winslow hit, I think, 4-4 four four from the perimeter. I mean, he's a terrible perimeter shooter. Yeah. You, you lose that way, you kind of... Home cooking, man. It's home cooking. Yep. Young guys and home cooking. It's just, it's it's tried and true. It's Winslow's not going to shoot that well. This is what Clippard wants to say. Can I translate for him for a sec? Yeah, go what ahead. What he wants to say is Richardson and Winslow... And to a lesser extent, Dwayne Wade on his outside shots and, and Dragic, Dragic right? on his outside yeah. shots. They're going to miss these same shots on the road. Because if they were this, these types of shooters on home and away, the Heat would have been the number two seed in the East with 50-something wins. That, the, number two the, seed, maybe number one seed. Maybe number one seed, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't like Cleveland was lights out all season long. So the point I'm making is this is who Miami is. They've been a team who plays these great games two, three in a row at home, and then will go on the road and look terrible for a game or two in a row. It, it's just, I think that, again, Clifford wants to say these things, and he's. I agree with him. I don't think he's... I think the overrated component, which Jeff Van Gundy always harks upon, is what people see is the tip of the iceberg, and then underneath there's a mile of iceberg, and that's the rest of coaching. Mm-hmm. And you know, and these practices, the days, the film sessions, because practices are light during the playoffs. You got to keep these guys fresh, but. These film sessions are so crucial, showing the small adjustments to guys so that they understand game over game how to make the in-game adjustment, not physically. You're not going to teach someone how to be a better shooter. They are who they are. Some guys shoot better at home. Some guys shoot better on the road. These splits are out there. And I would would say also that they did – I mean, I don't know what he would call it, uh, but (laughs) I thought in game one they were too lenient, uh, allowing you know Whiteside to just roll unimpeded. They – were not they were like getting beat by these cuts it was you know it was just a bad before and then in game 2 i thought they were much more aggressive helping off defenders so he can talk a big game about how they didn't really do much but i mean i know i don't watch film like steve clifford can i, mean, <laughs> I never would claim that but I mean, to me guy. i to me yeah. i saw a difference like i think they did make an adjustment mm-hmm. um but i mean this is the other thing to think about though and this is where i think the playoffs are such a challenge right you don't get like 80 games for the mean to regress, right? Like yep. if you have – like here's – the Hornets are now in a situation where in game one they just kind of laid an egg on all accounts. I think the way they executed – and I think to some degree the game plan could have been better. I don't know how to separate the two, but I, I felt like some rotations like Clifford kind of got caught – Jeremy Lin caught on 
on Dwayne Wade for a while, mm-hmm. some of the player rotation, all of it. It was just kind of a – they played it more like a regular season game, and the Heat were in playoff mode. And, you know, there's a game you lose. And then game two, you're now in the right mode. You make the right decisions, as Clifford alluded to, and you just get beat by hot shooting. Suddenly, you're down 2-0, and you're, you got to win, what, four or five yep. to win the series? And you're without your best player now, possibly, and Nick Batum. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, Ankle okay. Injury. Yeah. So, regression to the mean, you don't have time for regression to the mean in the playoffs. Everything is so contained. And so, you can talk about this is a make or miss league and all of that. But, and that's fine in the regular season. But in the playoffs, you, you owe it to yourself to see if there's any way to shorten the trends and figure out why it is that these players are feel so comfortable making shots, even if intellectually i mean another example we're talking about detroit and cleveland for a bit i thought in game two the other night last night kyrie irving hit three off the dribble threes in the first six minutes fool's gold when he's 30 percent on those shots all year it's fool's gold but that was the i mean that kept cleveland in the game and that played a huge role in allowing them to go up 2-0 i mean you don't have the luxury of proper sample sizes in the playoffs and so i think no, of it, course not as a coach it behooves you and maybe he's doing this and he doesn't want to say and i think that's actually quite quite likely it behooves you to kind of understand that there's got to be something you can do to make these guys uncomfortable you have to shorten your sample sizes you have to make quicker adjustments you can't kind of rely on the mean sort of balancing out i mean I, i'm talking for a while but one last point on this is that at the end of that game the other night the, again, Clifford made an adjustment, you know, for all the talk that he did. And he made a very good adjustment, I thought. He put Spencer Hawes in the game when Al Jefferson was tiring in order to kind of draw Whiteside out and get their offense going. And they did a very good job for a while. But then uh, before that could make a difference in the game, Eric Spolstra put Lou Aldang in at center and it just neutralized, it just switched everything and completely shut it down. I mean, that was a sort of four or five possession sample size that Spolstra felt was good enough to act on. Yep. And it saved the game. I mean, it, it stopped the comeback. Yes. Yeah, in the playoffs, that's what you have to do. I mean, so let, let, tie it together then, Mike. With Miami making those proper adjustments, having the right pieces, are they more of a threat now to, to steal the East than you thought going into the series? Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Whiteside has been much more impactful offensively than I expected. I think, in a way, not having Chris Bosh there, he kind of likes the elbows, mm. has allowed Whiteside to be a really big-time dive threat. You know, and, and in Game 2, the thing I'm still worried about with Miami is, in Game 2, the Hornets really went at him in pick-and-rolls, and he really struggled Whiteside sure. for a while. And they got that they kind of staved that off by with their guards ball pressure and that's kind of where Miami is a real threat they just have a lot of good defensive wings and guards and and we talked a bit about ball pressure in the clippers series that was a big key i'm not sure i'm like totally all the way there and saying now Miami mm-hmm. is like really showing me something i think what we know is that Spolster is a great playoff coach they're in the best position to succeed they have a lot of good defenders they have Dwayne Wade who by the way made some big plays down the stretch again to save things off he's been good yeah um I'd like to see how they they show up on the road for really saying that they can beat the Cavs agreed I'd like to see that first agreed and that's a good segue to the Cavs too because I guess the only way to really tee this off Mike is they're up 2-0 they look like they've made some significant offensive adjustments. I want you to speak to the structural changes of how they're using LeBron within the offense and kind of why that's now translated. And again, the Pistons have put up a good fight in game one. It was actually one of the best games, I thought, of the playoffs so far. 106-101. Maybe the best. Probably the best, right? What game has been better? Well, there's been closer games with a one-point game, but the Mavs-Oklahoma City game was terrible. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. But yeah, yeah, it was the best well-played and close game of the playoffs so far. Game one of uh, Hawks-Boston was fine as well. Uh, same with game one of Pacers Raptors, but um, anyhow, so this was probably the best game so far of, of the playoffs. And and then game two, there was an adjustment made, I think, offensively with how LeBron was being used. Although I think in game one it was similar, uh, and they won one hundred seven ninety. Pistons have a nice young team. It's this is not a matter of them not really playing well. But is this more a situation of we can say as much as we want about the regular season is what it is, but the Cavs are really still just kind of in a league of their own, and it doesn't matter if it's the Pistons or the Heat uh, or the Raptors or whoever it may be, Celtics in the in the playoffs, it's it's going to be the Cavs in, in similar fashion to this. So 
two things. What are they doing different with LeBron in the offense? And then secondarily, is that the case with the Eastern Conference hierarchy? Yeah, so they're playing smaller more often. They've unleashed Kevin Love at the five. They've trapped these drum and pick and rolls. And the Pistons haven't made them pay. Uh, these are this is a look that we thought maybe they weren't going to flash this early. This was something they sort of did in the playoff in the regular season. There was, I think, a quote that one of their coaches gave saying that they didn't they didn't think this lineup could defend well enough. Well, that's not the case against Detroit. Mm. It may be a matchup thing, but you know, in Game One, I thought Kevin Love was really instrumental in getting Drummond out of the paint. I thought the Pistons made some good adjustments to limit his impact in Game Two. They put Drummond on Shumpert a little bit mm-hmm. to get him out of the play. But the one thing that's really scary, I think, for the rest of the league is they're running pick and rolls with LeBron as the screener. And he's mm-hmm. the guy. And that, I mean, he's almost, I mean, you think about Andre Drummond as a pick and roll player, right? Sure. He's this amazing lob threat and this kind of rolling downhill. It freaks you out. LeBron is just as much of a lob threat. Plus yeah. he's in the league's best passer and he can kind of play from the perimeter. I mean, it's it like Draymond, man. It's what the it's what the Warriors do with Draymond. He sets the screens and makes the decisions. And and he's better at it than yeah, Draymond. He's, I mean, he's, he's LeBron. Draymond. Yeah, he's LeBron. And so you see these situations where there are a couple plays in the fourth quarter where Delavadova is coming off the LeBron screen and he just kind of can beat Steve Blake off the dribble with no help because LeBron's <laughs> man's not going to help on the play. And Poor then I think Steve I, Blake. Yeah, and a couple plays later they ran the same thing and they put Channing Fry on the weak side, and LeBron rolled down the lane. I think he even jumped for a lob that never came. Do you remember this play? Not vividly, it but was, keep going. And then they kicked it out. Channing Fry's wide open for three mm. because his man's helping on LeBron. Sure. You you made the analogy. It's like he's the queen of the chessboard when this yeah. happens. Yep. And and that's, to me, I don't know what the answer to that is. If, if LeBron is fully locked into this role, I think during the regular season he didn't really want to do this. Um, but, you know, we've seen the past LeBron's teams. I remember in the uh, 2013 finals, they used, the Heat used this to kind of get out of tight spots against San Antonio. They would run these pick and rolls with, I think, a guard, maybe Mario Chalmers, and LeBron as the screen. I remember writing about it. Mm-hmm. And now it's happening again in this series. I think what you're just more or less pointing out is that LeBron is still uniquely in his you know, own space of NBA player. He is a point guard, two guard, three, four, five, everything. He he kind of can be that, like we said, the queen on the chessboard. It's just the way that he can make a series go in the way that he wants. The only other player who really singularly changes the complexion of the game because of his skill set, only other player right now is is Steph Curry mm-hmm. because he is that uniquely amazing at that, you know, at shooting and ball handling and seeing the court. Very similar to LeBron, obviously with the more shooting, but LeBron with the more physical presence. And that excludes guys like Westbrook and Durant, uh, and to a lesser extent, you know, Kawhi or Mar- uh, Marcus Aldridge, guys who have great skill sets, but they're still not that queen piece. And I'll the, tell you, man. The only but, guy I would add to that list is Dirk. Dirk uh, is sure. kind of a queen piece for Dallas. And, and I think Chris Paul is actually for, for the Clippers. But for their respective teams, I mean kind of in any given game, more in a vacuum sense, you know? Okay. Um, and, and so it's, it's interesting because when we all, I mean, I've done this before you've done this, we try to armchair psychologist, uh, you know, LeBron. And I think that there's definitely some mental things at play always for him, you know, kind of where he sees himself and how he thinks about himself. Um, but when it comes playoff time, I I think there is a much more selfless side of LeBron that says like, time to put that shit away and, and really just kind of do this. Because one of the big things that is I think a very LeBronism is the ability to change what he does for his team. He's played so many different roles for for the two different Cleveland teams and Miami team that he's been on, um, and that's one thing you can't take away. Carmelo has never changed who he is for the team around him. Uh, certain players will never change how they are for the better of the team. It's just not an easy thing ego wise. What does LeBron call it? Zero Dark Twenty Three, the uh, Twitter blackout where he gets serious in the playoffs, something like that. But uh, that always always ends up doing something on social media. Regardless. <laughs> uh, yeah, this yeah. is a uh, Zero Dark Twenty Three activated in yeah. real time. So six different people with keys have to turn it at the same time. Yeah, uh, but uh, all right. Well, we we don't really have enough time. I just want to ask one quick. Just give me a one word answer. Which one's the bigger injury for their team? Bradley for Boston or Batum for Charlotte? You know, I'm going to say Bradley because. In conjunction with Olenek as well, because you look at that that series with Celtics-Hawks, Isaiah Thomas has got four guys on him because nobody can make a shot. You, 
Bradley yeah, isn't a great three-point shooter, but like Marcus Smart and Evan Turner are awful three-point shooters. <laughs> yeah. And and the Hawks know it, so they're not guarding them. Right. And Thomas is small, so it's hard for him to see over the gaps, like over the players. And yep. even when they're open, it doesn't really, the Celtics don't care. So that, I think, is the bigger loss. And, you know, it's actually an interesting – one last point I want to make as sure. a general point. One of the lessons I, I think – we learned so far in this playoffs and again it might turn around as these road teams come home and start to feel better is that you can kind of in the regular season fake shooting in a lot of ways with your motion with just the lack of attention to detail for game to game in the 82 game season mm-hmm. guys who aren't great shooters can be treated can kind of feel like they are and be treated as such and that facilitates more motion. You see this with Portland, I think with Charlotte to some degree, although they're again their points per possession is good. I think they're not scoring the way they did in the regular season. It's not mm-hmm. the same whiplash. Boston, even Atlanta sometimes. I mean, that's a team that has missed good shots. Sure. Uh, Detroit, I thought, you know, they had a game where they shot really well, but then they had a stretch the last night where they couldn't make a shot. Uh, Indiana, I would say Toronto, even uh, these teams that you know the the thirty five percent three point shooter, you know teams will expose that in the playoffs because they plan they know that this is a guy that if they that guy beats you you just live with it. I mean I think this yeah. might happen to Miami if they don't shoot well in Charlotte, right? Because thirty five percent in the regular season becomes twenty seven percent in the playoffs, and you can live with someone shooting twenty seven percent. From the field. From what, the is that is that like a formula you've got? Like yeah, percent yeah. rule? It, dude, it's it's again, it's a Serge Ibaka rule just in percentages. You, these players who really aren't superstars or really aren't specialists but get kind of that label, just like you're talking about, they get that subtraction. Unless LeBron's on their team, then they can keep it. LeBron adds that back. That's the <laughs> LeBron percent effect. That's different. Um, but, you know, it, it's – or I guess Steph Curry has walked into that realm too just for the space he creates for you. But, uh, you know, it, I, that's kind of always how I, I – put those numbers together mike it's very scientific it comes mm-hmm. with a, a a margin of error of like five to ten percent which is usually I'm, the amount you lose so it's yeah. nice i'm sure you've done a very complicated regression model to figure out yeah. that eight percent uh but yeah you, you just <laughs> you, you look at these like these teams like portland and boston they were top above average offenses i mean even boston was i think 13th in points per possession and they did it because they would just kind of act like these players are threats through volume. They would just shoot a lot of threes. And when you don't get to concentrate and think, wait a minute, like, do we really need to worry about that guy shooting, like a Minu, Harkless? Mm -hmm. Do we really care about them? I mean, even in Charlotte, do we really care if Marvin Williams takes a contested three? Right. You know, like, in the regular season, those percentages look really good. And then in the playoffs, there's sort of left open – on purpose, you kind of know that, okay, so they shot this well in the regular season, but they kind of appear like they're more of a threat than they are just because they shoot a lot. Yep. And in the playoffs, I think those guys just, the teams just don't guard those guys. And it I, I, cramps space, and it it also kind of causes anxiety, I think. I think sure. you saw this with the Hawks, where last year they had this great offense that flowed well, and then when you sort of kind of killed the flow – Suddenly, it's sort of exposed that they really only have one good shooter, like yeah. really good shooter, and everybody else is kind of like good when it's in the right moment, but not so good when it's exposed. But you know, we know this though. The blueprint wrapped this up for me at least is that Pop for years preaches, at least outwardly, Popovich is this is it, that you have to stop the, the what the other team does best, and then everything else kind of trickles from that, right? So if you mm-hmm. if you stop the primary and the secondary on a team, arguably the guys who you want to take away their best ability, whether that's a three-point shot, whether that's getting to the block, wherever they, wherever they best operate, that the other parts then supplementarily or compensa- more of a compensatory way, uh, they fall apart. They're not where they're supposed to be. The timing of the offense is out. The rhythm of the shot clock, to, you know how they usually use the clock to get where they want is different. And so that's what I think... I mean, you're alluding to and what yeah. is really at the heart of this is that these guys who are used to being in a more comfortable situation to get what would allow for them to be in a right spot to, to get their 35% three, all of a sudden now they're not in the corner. They're closer to the top of the key and they're getting it with less seconds on the shot clock. And all those little things that go into the shot are changed, have changed, and that equals that lower percentage. Yeah, I think it's a really good way of putting it because, I mean, to, to circle back to Portland Clippers, mm-hmm. 
the Clippers are just not letting Lillard and McCollum beat them. And everybody says they do that in the regular season, but right. they don't have the discipline, the the practice time to really hone in on, okay, you've got to be at this position, at this spot when we trap, in this help spot, you know, all of that. It's all a lot more off. You're kind of relying more on these larger principles of right. how you normally play. You don't really have team-specific game plans, but when you're able to put in team-specific game plans, you can kind of be more precise with that. And suddenly, what was open in the regular season is not. And then also, when you are open, it's you're working harder to get to that spot, or something is a little off with the timing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like Aminu in Game 1, for example, was, taking, was getting the ball at the top of the key, and he's much better, I think, as an angled three-point shooter, and just that little bit of difference in the way they trapped, I think, caused his shot to go off. You know, it, it, it's something as simple as that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's it's something to watch. Like, if that reverses when these guys are at home, I think maybe it's just a home road thing. Yeah. But I'm not sure it totally will. And I think it, it's an interesting trend to think about because the league is going more to three-pointers and these kind of ensemble casts. And it also just will affect our analysis. Like, what teams are immune from that? I mean, in a, in a way – it's almost like the old jump shooting teams wins championships, like cliche, maybe holds true a little bit. Yeah, unless you have those, and that's why the whole chasing to do what Golden State does thing is is chasing something you'll never catch. They have the unique pieces to do something that basically no other team can succeed with. Maybe that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just an interesting trend to watch. I think. Sure. It, no, it affects because it's not, we're all we're all the way back to this idea that the playoffs really are different than the regular season, and sure. there is just something different about the way, the the intensity, the detail, the preparation, and it, we're all the way back to these cliches that we thought were just kind of platitudes, maybe having some substance to it. And yeah, this is one area I think it sort of plays out, and so that's what I'm watching very closely over the next few games. Nice. Well, there's some big uh, game threes tonight: Oklahoma City, Dallas, uh, Toronto, Indiana, and then later on tonight, um, I guess Steph is playing or Steph is not playing. Is Golden State, Houston? But who cares? Uh, we'll get to Golden State, I'm sure, later on down the, the playoffs uh, when they're playing against a real basketball team. Sorry, Houston fans. Um, Not sorry, Houston fans. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, cool. Well, subscribe to us. Uh, look for Limited Upside Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, look for us on Twitter at Limited Upside. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's an underscore there, Limited underscore Upside. At Limited underscore Upside uh, on Twitter. Thank you, Mike. Uh, find at, uh, Mike Prey to SBN and at EpiBen. We are also on Twitter. Shoot questions at us. We're going to try to do these podcasts every couple games. Uh, you know, like so next week it'll hopefully be towards the end of these series, if not already with some definitive answers. Sorry for the first round of the NBA playoffs basketball world. It will get better. I promise. I promise you that. And until next time, limited upside podcast. Yeah.